With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 59 of the Talk is Cheap podcast, a New York Giants podcast for NJ.com and the Star Ledger. This is James Cratch. Joe Giglio is on vacation this week, so I've got to step into hosting duties. I'm joined for the second time now by my new beat partner, Dan Duggan. Dan, as we sit here in the parking lot at the Quest Diagnostics Training Center, how are you? I'm good. Only the uh, highest uh, standards for our, our sound quality this week. We're, uh, we're multitasking as always. Always. Well, you got to jam these podcasts into training camp. We don't have a heck of a lot of free time to do them. We are taping this on a Monday afternoon which means that the Giants will be in their first preseason game in a few days, Friday, 7.30 p.m., I believe, MetLife Stadium against the Miami Dolphins. And we'll get to all that later on in a second. But first, Dan caught up with a, a former Giant with uh, some insightful thoughts. So, Dan, uh, tell us who you just sat down with. Yeah, I mean, with with Joe out of the running, we have to change up the format. You know, the show must go on. So I reached uh, my UMass roots and uh, sat down with Brandon London today. I think uh, a lot of Giants fans probably remember him. I know he was like a, a popular member of the practice squad on that 2007 Super Bowl team. Uh, he had some fun stories to tell about what it was like to be a, a rookie in the NFL uh, playing in the, the shadow of New York City. And uh, now he's actually back in the fold uh, working for Giants.com. And, and I think he's a guy who's really going to have a future uh, in his second career. And so with that, here's my interview with Brandon. All right, so like I said, we're, we're changing up the format a little bit this week. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know the Giants have a lot of uh, legendary UMass wide receivers uh, around the team. I mean, obviously, everyone knows about Victor Cruz. They may not know about my exploits on the uh, flag football fields at UMass uh, during my time there. Uh, and then today's guest is another guy with some wide receiver roots at UMass, uh, Brandon London, former Giant, Super Bowl uh, winner with the Giants. Uh, thanks for coming on. Hey, man, thanks for having me, man. Anytime it's a UMass situation or UMass show anything, I'm there. Go Minutemen. <laughs> so, obviously, Brandon has, uh, has had a football career, but he's sliding over coming into my world, the, the media. Um, I know Giants fans have been seeing more of you. So just give uh, a little update on uh, how you got back involved with the Giants and what you're doing now. Well, what's funny is uh, when I was up in Canada, you know, last year, I was all packed up, ready to go to Canada. And um, I got called out to L.A. to test for the ne- uh, Fox Network for a show that they have called Hollywood Today. 
today live. So ultimately, missed a couple of days of camp. Um, they flew me out there for a couple of days, and they flew me back. And I got an opportunity to, you know, that's why I retired because I got the opportunity to be on that show and, you know, shoot some digitals. They ultimately, they didn't think I was ready, so they, you know, I got, you know, released from the show, and it was too late to go to Canada. And I was like, you know what? I made my decision where it's like, you know, football's done. You know, I want to do this full time, and I had to get a training, a personal training job at some, you know, at some gyms and stuff. One lady who took my class loved my personality, said she was going to introduce me to Babette Perry of Innovative Artists. And, you know, people say that in this industry all the time. Like, yeah, I know this person. I know this person. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Whatever. So Cindy Gesner was her name, and she ends up being one of the top entertainment lawyers in L.A. And she got me the meeting with Innovative Artists. I actually signed with them in March, but I didn't hear anything from them for two months. And I'm like, man, you know, what's going on? You know, this is a, a terrible situation. She, uh, my agent, Babette Perry, calls me um, May the 31st and says she knows, she knows Don Sperling, who's the you know executive pr producer um, for Giants TV and such. And she, you know, I, I, I had a phone conversation with him. We talked and went well, and he said they wanted to bring me in to audition and such. So, you know, I flew in here and auditioned for them, hung around the, the facility and, you know, saw everyone who's still with the Giants for my year. And uh, they ultimately, you know, they brought me back. So now I'm doing, you know, one-on-one -on -one features, not so much a lot of football stuff like X's and O's, but the Giants lifestyle, which is they're trying to promote on their website now and um, taking players out to restaurants and, you know, just the, the lifestyle that these guys live off the field. And I love it because that's what I do, you know. I mean, obviously you bring a different perspective than the guys like me whose career ended on the flag football fields uh, and intramurals. Um, I think most people interested in your time with the Giants. What was that year like, obviously, with the 2007 Giants? Is this a, a rated G uh, podcast or can I? Uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, we could go PG-13. Okay, PG-13. Cool. So, uh, man, it was, it was, uh, ultimately it was the best year of my life. Um, I was coming off of a, you know, we went to the national championship with UMass the year prior. And then I worked my butt off to, you know, run 4-4, run low 4-5 on my pro days. And Mike Sullivan, who's actually the, the, the OC now and was my receivers coach, but he drove up to UMass in a snow storm for my pro day and watched me and they brought me in I got a chance to learn from guys like Plaxico Bur Burris Amani Toomer you know I was on the uh, practice roster the entire year but out of all the undrafted free agents me Mike Matthews and Craig Dahl were the only ones who stayed around ultimate those two made the team but you know they kept me around because they liked what I was doing and then you get to the point where New York City's your backyard and a young 23 year old kid like me and I just had got my braces off so I was really feeling myself <laughs> so I used to go you know go out hang out and I got to experience what it's like what New York City can offer and not just parties you know I'm a, I'm a party guy that's what I do you know I'm, I'm not ashamed of that I'm 31 years young you know I still you know live my life but I got to experience the different cultures the foods um, everything that the city got to offer and, and then you you throw on a Super Bowl on top of that and I think a party two weeks straight after we got back from Arizona that that year and it just opened up so many doors for my off the field stuff and last question just about your background obviously you, you bounced around a few other NFL teams but you had probably most uh, playing success up in Canada what was that like uh, Canada was amazing man it's their NFL you know in Canada so we were you know we got the utmost respect from the fans um, every time I would go out you know 
it was like they opened up, you know, they rolled the red carpet out for me because I was doing a lot of TV stuff up there as well. And, uh, you know, you get to hang out with guys like P.K. Subban and, and the guys of the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, every time, you know, we went out, it was just it was like it was like a movie, you know, almost kind of like any given Sunday in Canada. You know, um, I loved it up there. They still show respect to me. I'm actually going up there in a, in a week or so to go hang out and do some TV stuff up there with the team. Uh, but um, Canada was just, it was like a fantasy land because it was just non-stop, I wouldn't say non-stop partying, but you win it, we won a, I won a great cup up there, you know, I got a Super Bowl ring and a great cup, so you, you're going to go out, you're going to go enjoy the beautiful women up there in Canada, so I mean, I just had a great time, uh, I loved it up there, and I thank them for, for bringing me up there. All right, yeah, so it sounds like the, the fruits of pro football have been pretty good to you. Uh, but now you're on this other side. I'm going to ask you to put the analyst cap on. Uh, obviously, wide receivers is, is your forte and some interesting ones on this team to talk about. I think a logical place to start is uh, your old college teammate. Uh, just what have you seen from Victor Cruz so far in camp? I see a guy who is preparing himself to get back to that great level of football that he, you know, he played at. Um, a lot of people have wrote, wrote him off already. You know, and I, I look at message boards, you know, I read a lot of things. And I've even seen some of our former college teammates and some of their some of the stuff that they've posted on Facebook, if he can get back or not. And I'm all about a comeback story. I understand this is pro football and he's been out, but I see a guy that's pushing himself. I see a guy that uh, he's going up competing for balls. He's he's doing things where you can see that he's not so much thinking about the you know his lower body injuries, whether it's the knee, the calf, whatever it is. You can see that he's putting himself in the position to get himself game ready. And like I told him, you know, I, that day it was one practice where he got ran into by a lineman. Someone came uh, and hit him, and he, you know he laid there for a little bit, but he wasn't hurt or anything he was just laying there laughing and I pulled him to the side after when I saw him in the facility and I was like you needed that and he was like you see? he was like his eyes just lit up he was like you see that I was like yeah it was, you needed that he was like I definitely did because there's that contact people have to understand when you're a receiver and you rely on your wheels you know you, when you're coming back from that you want to make sure when you get hit or you fall you the first thing you're thinking about is my knee am, am I good am I good am I good so he needed that um, he's been making some plays you know he's getting himself back into the into the system and back into the offense and I told him I was like all it takes is one play one big play one touchdown one salsa dance and everyone's gonna love you all over again so erase all that and uh just make sure when it's time for me to ask for an interview I get exclusive rights to any interview I want <laughs> that's fair I gotta take care of you um obviously another guy where there's really no questions we've seen him out here we've seen him doing the last two years just as a fellow receiver what's it like to see what Odell Beckham Jr. has done on the field it's like he he's a Madden glitch, you know. That guy he, he just makes play after play after play. I've yet to see anyone check him. You know, he's been limited for some practices, but that one practice before he got hurt, how he was just catching those deep balls on people. It's it's amazing to watch a guy go up for the ball. Everyone else fall and he lands on his feet and just continues to run and get yak. It's a 60-yard deep ball and he's he's jumping up for it. Most guys fall, so you 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 hear people around the the organization, they talk about how athletic he is and and how much of a beast he is. And you know, as a, as a receiver, like I'm a beast too, you know. But and then you come out here and you see the plays he make. Um, I'm just excited to you know to continue to watch him, and he is—he's the new wave. What we like to say, he's got the new wave. Odell Beckham Jr. is the new it athlete, 
And I, look, people have a problem with him dancing. And hey, you just keep scoring touchdowns. You can moonwalk. You can do whatever you want, bro. And I, I just like watching him. And the third guy I think who's generated a lot of excitement this offseason, obviously, is the rookie Sterling Shepard. What are you seeing out of him? I've yet to see anyone. I've yet to see him drop a ball. I think I've seen someone break up a pass before. But there's certain guys. There's certain programs. Uh, NCAA programs where guys get to the NFL, they're league ready. I saw that with Steve Smith my rookie year when he came in from USC. He was just sharp and on it right away. And I see the same thing with Sterling Shepard. I mean, he gets in and out of his breaks. You can see Coach McAdoo get on him at times, but it's because he wants him to learn and he doesn't, you know, a lot of guys are like, you know, I'm, I'm this, I'm this hot shot. And, you know, they take it as more of an insult, but he he wants to learn. You see him walk up to coach, walk up to his receivers coach and ask questions and such. And you love watching that, especially because, I mean, I, I feel like with those three, Cruz, Beckham, and, and Sterling, uh, not Sterling Sharp, uh, <laughs> Sterling, um, the sky's the limit for those guys, you know? And then you get you throw in, uh, what's the big guy with the, with the dreads? Jeremy Davis. Jeremy Davis, you throw in him as the red zone target, that big target that Eli needs. And then, Miles White is having a great camp. So, I mean, they've got receivers to pick from, um, and I'm just excited to be around it and be watching these guys. Yeah, I was going to say that because obviously the top three guys everyone knows, but everyone who's been in there has made plays, and you've probably been more, you can relate probably more to them as the guy who's trying to make that fifth or sixth receiver spot. So, what are your thoughts on just the way these guys are really seizing the opportunity, the Tavares Kings and the Roger Lewises and those guys? Well, every time I look up, Roger Lewis is catching the deep ball, which will help him. But for him, you making plays on, on offense right now in camp is, is great, but it's going to come down to special teams. Can you play special teams? And ultimately, I think that's why I never, you know, uh, made the active roster with the Giants because I was, you know, kind of shaky on special teams during my preseason. Um, he's, he's making plays. Miles, Miles White's making plays. I played with his, his brother up in uh, Canada. And then uh, uh, Jeremy Davis, again, he keeps going up for balls. and. It, it, it comes down to special teams. You got to show up in the preseason games on special teams because Coach Quinn is great special teams coach. He's got to get those guys ready, you know. So there's a lot of competition, but anyone, I feel like anyone who gets cut, as long as they make some plays in the preseason games, they'll get picked up right away. And then kind of last thing, sticking with your area of expertise, uh, on the other side of the ball, I mean, you've seen these cornerbacks, you've gone against guys like this. What are your thoughts on the, the secondary that they put together here? I really like Eli Apple. Um, I like... He was a little grabby at first for me, but that's, you know, a rookie. You got to learn. First week of practice, you got to learn. I think he's changed it up, and he's, he's, he knows now you're going to have to play. And you're going to be in positions where you're kind of going to get beat. A guy's going to get an edge on you. You know you can't grab. You know, that's an, ultimate, uh, that's an ultimate flag. And you can see that he's not doing that so much, and he's relying on his athleticism to make up for when he gets beat or if a guy gets the edge on him. Janoris Jenkins, I can't wait to see him out there and play, uh, uh, get out there and compete against some guys. And I really, you know what, DRC, you know, uh, Rogers Cromartie, I've paid attention to him, obviously, because it's Madden and he's like 97 speed, you know, but I've watched him grow as a corner in this camp you know, because of the things that he's doing, working on techniques, going up for some balls and competing. I think that that's a, that's a really big three in terms of corners. And then you add Leon Hall, he was the Wiley vet. Giants needed some DBs, man, and they really brought some guys in. And um, I'm just excited for this season, man. It's like, I'm, all, I'm go blue all over again. <laughs>
And I guess the last question I have is you've been through a Tom Coughlin training camp. Obviously, you're in a totally different role now. But you're, you're around us. You know, you're right up on the field, and you're talking to guys. What's your takes on, on seeing a Ben McAdoo camp compared to what you remember from a Tom Coughlin camp? Dude, I feel like I'm at a, a Drake concert right now, man. Uh, I mean, just the music 24-7. You know, he's got great musical playlists. got great, you know, he's got country music going. He's got the Family Matters theme going. He's stuff like that where I'm like, is this dude really playing the theme song to a 80s sitcom? <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, t- my, my rookie year with Tom Coughlin, I was going in thinking that it was going to be like an old Vince Lombardi type practice, you know, practices or training camp. And I was asking David Tyree one time at a practice, and I was like, "Hey man, we're we're in shells. We're not going as hard as everyone says." He and David Tyree in his voice, "Oh man, you ain't know. This is the new Tom Coughlin, you know." And uh, we, I was having a, I was having a chuckle about that, but. Um, he was Tom Coughlin was still a great guy, and I felt like you know he pulled me to the side, yell at me, and still you know give me proper instruction and stuff. And I see Ben McAdoo doing the same thing. Certain coaches, you know, just because Coughlin comes from that old era, it doesn't mean that you know the things that he was doing or whatever were wrong. The man won two Super Bowls. It's just it's a new era of football. There's new rules. The PA has you know put in implemented new rules and what you can and can't do for practices. And I think McAdoo is. He, he's he's the guy that should be brought in to come in and handle this new style of football with the music, um, you know, the lighter practices and such. But I see a lot of teaching going on as well. And as a pro athlete, yeah, you got to get used to the speed and stuff for younger guys. But for the older guys, for the OBJs and for the Vicks and stuff, they don't. You don't really have to go hard 24/7. You know, instruction, instruction, knowing, knowing why, and knowing how and why is a big thing in football. And I, and I think that's great, especially for some young guys who need that extra. You know, who need to slow it down a little bit and learn. Okay, this is why I'm doing that instead of just going out there, going full speed and not learning. So this is great, Coach McAdoo. I love the playlist, and I got retweeted by Bowles today because I tweeted some of the playlist. So uh, keep giving me those followers, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. I mean, you get a little bit of everything with Brandon. You get some X's and O's. You get a lot of the lifestyle stuff, which I think you're you're well equipped for the role you're in. I think you uh, probably did some good training at UMass for uh, for your for your lifestyle you got into. Uh, appreciate you. T- taking the time and I'll give you a chance to just plug where can people find you I know Giants.com social media just you know where can they find uh, all of your insights Giants.com make sure you guys click on the lifestyle part right now it's all text but we're starting to pump out the videos the social buzz videos or about what's going on off the field um at cultured athlete on all social media platforms and Giants fans please reach out because I'm bringing players to restaurants um, to, to, to fashion shows we're doing a whole lifestyle uh, part of, of what it's like to be a New York Giant and if you have a brand you have a business or something and you want to be featured or your, or your man cave your show your how blue you are please reach out to me on social media because we're looking for places to film I'm always trying to reach out to the fans and uh, if you see me on the street um hopefully i'm doing something i'm supposed to be doing come take a picture with me i'm glad to be back and i love you all all right great stuff well thanks for coming along thanks for uh, joining us brandon no problem thanks man great stuff with brandon thanks very much with brandon for coming on the podcast thank you dan for setting that up and uh you know let's kind of piggyback off a little bit what he said about the receivers at the bottom of the roster and special teams and let's talk about friday night's preseason opener um 
you know, I think special teams is going to be a big thing, one of the major things we can watch for. Because I have a feel, last year it seemed that the guys at the bottom of the roster who were fighting for jobs, who kept on going to these preseason games and getting a lot of special teams reps, a lot of snaps on special teams, those are the sort of guys that end up making the team more often than not. So, Dan, I guess to start, uh, which give me two things that you're really looking for on Friday night. Yeah, no, I think that's a great place to start with, like you said, the special teams reps, because when you talk about guys out here in 7-on-7s in seven and 11-on-11s, seven on they get a ton of reps. So, yeah, it's great that Roger Lewis has made a lot of plays or Tavares King, but guess what? Come Sundays in the fall, they're not going to get that many reps because obviously those balls are going to Odell Beckham and, and Sterling Shepard. So uh, those guys are going to have to make their mark on gunning on punts and you know <laughs> being, in, being in kick returns, that type of thing. So, like you said, it'll be interesting to see who gets the most reps there and, and who makes the most of those reps. And then I think another thing that will be interesting to see is just the linebacking position. Uh, we've seen it constantly rotating. I'm sitting there trying to take notes, and every time I look up, there's a new guy playing in. So I'm like, wait, is this the first team, second team? I don't think Ben McAdoo has a clear answer at this point. You know, I think uh, it looks like Jasper Brinkley in the middle with Jonathan Casillas and Devon Kennard is probably the top unit. Mm-hmm. But you've, you've seen plenty of other guys in that mix, so I think it'll be very interesting uh, to see how it plays out when you get into a game. And obviously the first game isn't going to be the be-all, tell-all by any stretch. But I think you might get a look at that first unit for that first series or two. Uh, how about yourself? What are the big things you're looking for on Friday night? I agree with you. I think the line, you know, one of the things that we've noticed so far during training camp that's a little bit different from the way Tom Coughlin did things was when they would go with 11-on-11 drills or 7-on-7 drills last year, you'd see, you know, the, the first team, you know, whatever group was considered the first team, you would see them take, you know, five, six reps in a row. And then you'd see the second team come in and the third team. McAdoo, he just has got guys moving in and out. It's basically impossible to have any real idea of, solid idea at least, of what the depth chart looks like at this point. You know, there'll be an unofficial depth chart release before the game on Friday night. That's usually put together by the media relations staff. That's not necessarily something the coaches have anything to do with. So I agree with Dana. I think you're going to see a situation where Brinkley, Kennard, and Casillas, those will probably be the first three linebackers out on the field. But how long do they stay in there, and who replaces them when they come? I mean, look, Kelvin Shepard has impressed a lot. He's a guy who, when they signed him before the start of the offseason program, I figured he was just a camp body. He's making a serious push. Heenan Robinson, you know, other guys, B.J. Goodson. So, I, Dan, I think you definitely think you're right that linebacker is something to watch. For me, I think the first thing, and I know it's going to sound like we're beating a dead horse, but does Victor Cruz play on Friday night? Uh, we're saving this on a Monday. Ben McAdoo said he was not going to discuss playing time. When he was asked today, uh, Monday, if Cruz is going to play on Friday night, uh, I don't know if he'll change his mind by Tuesday. Maybe he'll want to talk about playing time Tuesday. I don't I think it. he will. I, yeah, I don't think Ben's going to want to. Uh, he's not. It, it, look, if Victor, because here's the deal: no matter if Victor's only out there for a play or two, it's going to be the first time he steps foot on a football field in a game in 22 months. That's a really big milestone for him in his comeback. And uh, if it's going to happen Friday, Ben's not doing a whole heck of a lot to hype it up and sell some tickets. But uh, it sounds like he doesn't want to talk about it. So that's one main thing I'm looking for is what does Victor Cruz do? And the other thing I'm looking for is how does the offensive line hold up? You know, all the hand-wringing this offseason about can they get a new right tackle? Can they bring in a veteran? Can they do this? Or Jerry and Newhouse good enough? I, you know, Dan, tell me if you agree with me. I think the right side of the line has held up pretty well so far in training camp. But that's just practice. So, the Dolphins have a very good defensive front. Uh, 
their defense has been dominating their offense down in Miami so far during training camp. So those are the two big things I'm looking for. Does Victor Cruz play? And how does that offensive line hold up, especially the right side, against a very good Dolphins defensive front? Yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line has, has been fine. I think the matchup most of us have been watching is Flowers versus Vernon on the other mm-hmm. side. And I think that that's been a good battle all throughout camp. I think it's going to make both of them better, you know, especially Flowers, because, I mean, you know, Vernon is, is giving them everything he can handle. But, yeah, I don't think that there's been this this sieve that I was expecting. Because, again, I wasn't sitting there watching every game last year, and you hear so much about this right side of the offensive line. And it's, it's not like they're a turnstile over there. I mean, sure, they're not Pro Bowl caliber guys, but they've been serviceable. Nothing has stood out from them in camp that, oh, wow, that's – that's a real sore spot. I mean, I think that they're serviceable, average professionals. I mean, could you do better? Maybe. But but clearly, Jerry's looked around enough and hasn't found anybody yet. So I think that uh, that'll be the two guys they're going to ride with unless something you know kind of shakes out here when, when uh, rosters get cut down around the league. And then defensively, I think another interesting spot is uh, is cornerbacks. Guys been moving around a lot there. What do you think? How do you think that'll shake out in the end? Do you think it's going to be DRC and Jenkins on the outside? Do you think Eli cracks that rotation? How do you think that's going to play out? People have been talking, like, after they added Leon Hall, you know, and I don't even know if we had the podcast before they signed Leon Hall, so we can get to that in a second. People have been saying, oh, Eli Apple's not going to play. This is a waste of pick. We see it every day. Eli Apple's taking about half of the snaps on the outside with Dominique Rogers Cromartie. Dan and I kind of discussed this the other day. Is that a sign that DRC is the guy who's most comfortable in the defense because he's the only, he's not new? Or is that a sign that Apple maybe is going to eat into his workload at some point? So I think people who are concerned that Apple's not going to play this season, calm down. I think <laughs> it's very clear that Eli Apple's – I don't know if he's going to be a starter in name, but I think it's very clear that he's in the plans for the Giants at cornerback. And, you know, I guess, Dan, you know, Leon Hall signed, you know, last week. I don't think we were on the podcast before that. We were, you know, training camp all just rolls into one, so forgive <laughs> me, but – uh how do you, you know, we've seen Hall a couple of days out there. He seems like he's going to be the first team slot guy. How do you think that's going to impact this defense going forward? Yeah, I think to, to go back for a second, I think you're 100% right. Like people said, oh, they had Leon Hall. That's an indictment on Eli Apple, which, you know, that just doesn't even make sense because Eli Apple hasn't been playing the slot. They really, I mean, even as much as they've tried to pay some lip service to maybe making him a, into a slot guy, we haven't seen it on the field. So no. Leon Hall is in one category, Eli Apple's in another. I think really Leon Hall and and DRC are probably more interconnected because it looked like, again, that maybe they're going to start moving DRC into the slot more, and that still could happen. Because, listen, you know, Leon Hall is a good veteran player, but there's no guarantee. I mean, he might not be the best option in the slot. Maybe it ends up being Trevin Wade. Uh, who knows? We'll see how that shakes out. Um, yeah, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Eli Apple's playing time. Again, like you touched on, he's he needs the reps more than DRC does. DRC's been in this defense. He's a veteran. So, again, is that Eli Apple just getting more practice reps, or is it going to carry over into the games? Uh, very interesting to see. Uh, it's going to be, you know, especially if he's out there, it's going to be a young secondary because, um, you know, McAdoo said today that Darian Thompson's the favorite to start a free safety, which is about as much as he's really said about the depth chart, but yep. it's also so obvious he couldn't say anything else uh, but that. So what are your thoughts on having a, a rookie uh, looking like the free safety and a second-year guy at strong safety? How do you think that'll come together for this defense? I mean, obviously there's going to be some growing pains, I think, but you know, I don't think the Giants really have a choice, you know, with, they, they encountered a free agent market where there really was not uh, any great fit at free safety to add. You know, I think if, if, if Eric Berry wasn't franchise tagged by the Chiefs, and in hindsight they maybe wish they hadn't because they couldn't get a deal with him, I think things could have been a little different. But, you know, the Giants always, I think, knew going into the season that if they were going to make an upgrade from the guys they have currently on the roster, they were all hurt last year, 
at safety. They were going to have to make it through the draft. So, you know, I think Collins and Thompson, their skill sets mesh each other pretty well. Uh, far better than Collins' skill set meshed Brandon Merriweather's skill set last year. That was just not a good fit. So, you know, look, I, I think there's going to be some growing pains, but nothing. the game hasn't seemed too big for, for Darian Thompson so far in training camp. Uh, I can't think of a big play he's let up at all, really, Dan. So, I mean, it's I guess out of sight, out of mind is a good thing for the rookie. Right, especially at that position where you really only notice them either if they make a big play or if you see the back of their jersey chasing after somebody. And, and we've seen plenty of big plays by these receivers in camp, and that's a great point. I haven't seen uh, Darian Thompson be the guy you know, involved in a busted coverage, so that's definitely a good sign, especially when you compare it to what they had last year back there where uh, obviously safety play was, was not a strength. Um, as we kind of keep going around the lineup here, because you know it's the first preseason game, I think fans are going to be excited to, to see what's out on the field. Uh, running back will be an interesting spot, too. Mm-hmm. One we haven't paid a lot of attention to because, I mean, I think, you know, I firmly believe Rashad Jennings is going to have every opportunity to be the number one back. And I think Shane Vereen is going to be the third down back. But there's still a mix of other guys in there that are going to be battling for either roster spots or playing time. So what have you – do? A, do you agree with that? And B, what do you see out of the Andre Williams and the Paul Perkins and, and those guys? I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think Jennings has earned the right to be the starter, the, the number one back. Excuse me. Don't want to use the word starter at this point in camp, but, uh, and I think Vereen's role is, is pretty clear. You know, Perkins, I think a lot of the giant, you know, look, we know that Apple's going to play. We know Sterling Shepard is going to play. We know he's going to start probably. We know Thompson's probably going to start. And we know that Goodson is a guy who might be able to have a chance to play at linebacker, but he's definitely be a core special teams guy. But, you know, Paul Perkins, the running back, fifth round pick and, and Jarrell Adams, the tight end, sixth round pick. Those guys are really key because I think the giants have, big plans for those players long-term. I just don't know if those guys are necessarily going to make an impact on offense, at least as rookies. And, you know, but they have to carry those guys. I, I, you know, they definitely can't get Perkins through waivers. I have a hard time believing they could ever get Adams through waivers. So those are two guys that, you know, back to special teams, they're going to have to really make an impact on special teams, in my opinion, this year, because otherwise they're going to be carrying two guys, two roster spots that, really aren't doing much for them. So I think that Perkins, but I also think there's a better chance that Perkins could eventually work his way into a running back rotation around midseason. And once he catches up to everything, then Adams necessarily will play tight end this year. I think Adams is an interesting situation because you look at this tight end depth chart. I mean, he's clearly behind the top three guys that have separated themselves. You know, Will Ty, Larry Donnell, and uh, Matt Lacoste. So those those three are clearly the top three tight ends on the roster. Uh, you have to assume that you're not going to take a pick on Adams and just burn it and, and like you said, try and sneak yeah. into the practice squad, which would be a dicey proposition. Um, but where does he fit in? Because uh, McAdoo has said he's combining fullbacks and tight ends into one grouping. I know you did your 53-man projection. Uh, you can maybe explain what, how you think this is going to shake out because uh, how many fullbacks do they keep? You know, you have a little flexibility with a guy like Will Johnson. How do you mm-hmm. see that fullback tight end grouping? I can't remember offhand how many you thought they'd end up keeping. I had five. I had four tight ends and Will Johnson as a fullback. Um, you know, part of that was if the Giants, we've seen them run a ton of two tight end sets so far in training camp. Uh, that's something I'm looking to see if they do on Friday night. You know, if they do that, how many receivers do you need if you're planning on using your tight ends so much? So I took a spot away from the receivers, only gave them five on the on the projection to slide it down to tight end. Um, you know, I think the other extra spot was they carried five defensive tackles coming out of uh, – 
preseason last year. That probably only four this year. They don't have a tremendous amount of depth at that position. So, but uh, no, Adams is definitely a player I'm really going to be watching on uh, on Friday night because Ben McAdoo said Ryan Nassar, the backup quarterback, is going to play a lot, which means the starting offense is not going to be out there much. Maybe a series of two or two, if that. So I think that a guy like Adams, he might get a lot of playing time on Friday night with the second-team offense and the third-team offense. So he's a guy on offense I'm definitely going to be watching to see what he can do. Because, look, I think his blocking is up there. It's on par with a professional level at this point. We know he can play all the special teams and, and play well on those. But can he be an asset in the receiving game? Can he be enough that the Giants can say, well, he is our legitimate third tight end that we don't need to bring on a fourth tight end? Yeah, it's almost too bad that they can't mold all these tight ends into one because they have they have the guys who are more just receivers, guys that are more just blockers, and they, they're they looking for that guy who can be the all-around guy. I actually think Lacoste might be able yes. to to be that guy. I mean, I, you know, obviously uh, he's probably a little bit behind Ty and Dunnell coming into camp, but he's shown me a lot, and uh, I think he kind of has the size and the skill set to maybe develop into that guy. Maybe it won't happen overnight, but uh, I think he's definitely a guy to watch in camp who could maybe uh, you know make a breakout. All right, let's wrap this thing up as it's getting quite hot in the parking lot here <laughs> in East Rutherford. Uh, I gave you Adams. Dan, give me one offensive player you're looking for, you know, want to see what they do on Friday night, and one defensive player. Then I'll wrap it up with my defensive guy. All right, I think offensively you could really just kind of pick a name out of hat on those wide receivers, but I'm going to go with Roger Lewis. Uh, he seems to be the guy when, again, all these guys have been making plays. But when you talk to other people and you hear other players, I mean, Rashad Jennings was so excited about the the long ball uh, Roger Lewis caught mm-hmm. Monday's practice. It's like all this guy does is make plays. Uh, so, again, does that carry over into the game setting? And it goes back to what we talked about initially. Is he going to be a contributor on special teams? Because, again, for all these guys, uh, you can't say it enough. That's the way for you to get onto the field. You're not going to come on and just take Odell Beckham's job from day one. Uh, you make the plays in practice, carry those over onto the, into the preseason, and then we'll see what happens as the season progresses. Uh, but so he's probably the, the receiver I'm most interested in seeing. Uh, defensively, I'll just take an easy one and go with Eli Apple. I mean, th- this is the guy who's you know been talked about so much just from, from the moment the pick went in, and there was a lot of surprise that they drafted him. It seems like every move he's made has been scrutinized. I think we've we've all written about five stories about how much he clutches and grabs. And uh, will they really, you know, if there's a flag in that first preseason game, watch out, Twitter will explode. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think he's it's early. He I wouldn't say he's turned a corner, but I thought he had a great practice on Saturday. And you just get the sense that he's getting more and more comfortable. So I mean, now we get to see when the bullets start flying for real, what he looks like uh, in an NFL game. So I think that's uh, yeah. obviously everyone's gonna want to see how he does. No, definitely two guys. Definitely people have their eyes on. For defense, I'll go with Keenan Robinson. In theory, on paper, he would seem to be the Giants' best all-around fit at middle linebacker. He's a guy who can be on the field three downs. He can cover tight ends. He can cover backs out of the backfield. He can play the run. But he's had a pretty quiet camp so far. Now, quiet is not necessarily bad. It just means it's been quiet. So I want to see what he does on Friday, see where what unit he runs with and what he possibly can do to maybe assert himself a little to have us notice him a little bit more uh so far in this linebacker competition that's it for us here episode 59 of the talk is cheap podcast as always we thank you for listening follow us on itunes hit us up on twitter talk is cheap nyg i believe it is correct I believe so we're, we're taking over we're taking over worldwide operation here <laughs> for talk is cheap uh dan as always, thank you. Uh, thank you. Always uh, always a pleasure. Yep. Thanks to Brandon London. Next time we talk to you on episode 60 of Talk is Cheap, the Giants will have played a football game for the first time since January, and we will talk all about it. 
Until next time.